Because that we finished the book of Romans last week and it's the Christmas season and I don't want to start a new series until the first of the year. I'm going to do a Christmas sermon tonight. So you turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. I meant the first chapter, beg your pardon, chapter 1 of Matthew. And just hold your place there. And uh, we'll get to it in just a moment. At the Academy Awards every year, there is a, an Oscar that is given to the best supporting actor. He's not that glamorous usually, and he's certainly not the star of the play or the star of the movie. Although he is a supporting character of the star and is essential to the drama. I have a feeling that if you remember the Oscar winners of the past, you remember the one who won the Oscar for Best Actor or Best Actress. And seldom do we remember him after a night or two, maybe after the night of the Oscar. Who won the best... You, you, you ever heard that ask? Well, who won the best supporting actor, you know, or actress? The one who, should, who deserves the Oscar for the best supporting role in the Christmas story is the father, earthly father of Jesus, although he's often ignored or, or forgotten. The reason why Joseph is not one who is remembered as a main part of the drama is that really he does nothing spectacular. He's just there, you see. And he's very much a part of the drama, a key part of the drama, and he does support the main character in this story. Now, all of the other gospel writers, other than Matthew, just more or less pass him by in the record. But I'm glad that Matthew takes the spotlight and focuses on Joseph. For after all, Matthew is the Jew, and he's writing his gospel to the Jews. And he's helping the Jews to see how that, that Jesus' coming and his, in the incarnation and the unfolding of redemption was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's his whole theme. And when he does that, he wants us to be sure and understand that central to the unfolding of the, of the drama of God in redemption that fulfills Old Testament prophecy has Joseph as a key supporting star. He must be there in the Old Testament because he is a part of the fulfillment of redemption of the Jews' hoped-for coming Messiah. Now, the role that Joseph plays is a role that focuses on faith. He embodies what faith is all about. And a casual reader of the Bible, or the New Testament especially, is able to, to detect that it is faith that pleases God. As a matter of fact, one time somebody asked Jesus, what is the work that we're supposed to do? And Jesus answers, the work that you're to do is to believe on the one who sent me. So that at the point of everything God desires of us, His faith is believing. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, and you can quote it, without faith it's impossible to please God. And so Joseph is a man who was pleased of God to be a key man in the unfolding of his redemptive drama because he is a man of faith. Now there are three ingredients to genuine faith that are illustrated in the life of Joseph, magnificently illustrated in his life. Three ingredients of genuine faith. 
They are one, the word of faith, the work of faith, and the weight, W-A-I-T, of faith. So I want us to look at the word of faith. There are three instances that illustrate the word of faith, and you can't get to the work of faith or the weight of faith until you get the word of faith. Now, the first chapter, verses 18 through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, I want to introduce you tonight to two theological terms. One you may have heard, one you may not have heard. The first theological term is the term logos. The logos, or logos. The logos, or logos, is this defined. It is the mind of God revealed in print. The mind of God revealed on paper. So that the Logos is the mind of God as it's revealed in His book, in His Word. This is the Logos, the mind of God revealed in print. There is a second theological term. It is the word Rhema, R-A-M-A-H. The Rhema is the application of that word by the Holy Spirit. And it's what God says to you in your spirit. God does speak to us. Now some of us in the past few weeks have been a... On a, on a pilgrimage, trying to come to, a, to an experience of knowing when God speaks. He does speak to us. Why else would the Holy Spirit be given man except that God wants to speak to us? And the Bible says that man is so designed so that he can hear from God. It even refers to the ears of the soul. It means that God has so designed man, unique to any other creation or creature, so that God can speak to him and man can hear from God. But sometimes when a person tells me that he's got a word from God, I kind of look at him with a kind of a jaundiced eye, especially when he has a word from God concerning me. You know. Don't you love it when somebody comes to you and says, God told me something to tell you. you know. I have a little, bit of a, you know, a little bit of reluctance to kind of go for that. Now how, is it when, how can you know when, when God speaks a word to the spirit, to the heart of man? Here's the way you can tell, the way you know. That whenever God speaks a word to you, He always backs it up. He always validates it with the Logos. In other words, God will not say something to you that is not already said in the Logos. So if you have some word from God and it can't be validated or it can't be substantiated by the Logos, by the revealed word in print, you better take another look at that word. Now... What happened to Joseph was 
that one night God came to him in a dream. By the way, the Lord doesn't speak to us through angels anymore because we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us and He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. But He came to Joseph in a dream and in this dream He said, Your wife, your, your, the, the girl to whom you in, you're engaged is conceived of the Holy Spirit and she's going to have a baby. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to be an expectant father. You know, you're going to, your, your fiancé is going to have a baby. Now, how could he really know for sure that that was a word from God? Well, God had told that 700 years before. It's found in the book of Isaiah, in the Logos. God had said that He's going to conceive in a little virgin girl, and this little virgin girl is going to bear a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel. So what God said to Joseph, he had already said 700 years ago. And, as, and, and, and Joseph was familiar with the prophet Isaiah, familiar with the Word. Second thing that happened is found in the second chapter, verse 13. Now when he departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. These are when he says, and when they had departed, he's talking about the wise men, big shots who came from the east. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and, his, and, and, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. That what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. And that word son there is the word that he used when he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, my only begotten. It's a reference to Hosea chapter 11. Now here is Joseph, and the second time the angel came to him and said, This is a word from God. Get up and head to Egypt. And when he woke up the next morning after having God speak to him through an angel, he's thinking to himself, How can I know that it wasn't just, you know, the result of that pizza? You know, I ate tonight. Just a nightmare. He, he, he knew that that was... He knew that was true. He knew it was reality, fact, because he was familiar with Hosea chapter 11. And Hosea had said centuries before, I'll call my son, my only son, out of Egypt. He had to go down to Egypt before God could call him out. Third time. It's found in 19th verse of chapter 2, beginning 19 verse through verse 23. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he'd heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, I can't tell you where that is in Old Testament prophecy. I can't find it. I've not been able to find anybody that knows where that's written in the Logos. It must have been written in the Logos because Joseph knew about it. 
that in order for Jesus to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, he had to be raised in Nazareth because he would be called a Nazarene. Now, the first element of genuine faith is a word from God, the word of faith. Second, there is the work of faith. The work of faith. Now, genuine faith always produces action or results. It has activity. James says that faith without works is dead. Faith that does not work has a flaw in it. When there is no obedience, it has a flaw in it. It's easy for a person to read the Word, the Logos, and say, I believe that. And it's easy for a person to hear down in the, in the spirit of himself that God, God's speaking. It's, it's, I have a feeling that many of us have heard from God and have never responded to it. And a faith that does not obey or work or respond has a flaw in it. Now, the word came to Joseph. Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You take her to be your wife. Now, Mary knew or could have known that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She could know that. Joseph could not. The only way that Joseph could know that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit was that he took God at His word. The only way he could know that was by faith. So that Mary could know it by feeling, Joseph could only know it by faith. So by faith, he took his wife, and the devil began taking pot shots at him. How about Roman soldier? Son of God, oh, come on now, get real. You have every reason not to marry her. You have every reason to justify putting her away. You have every reason to put her aside. You have even justification to have her put to death. What would you have done? What would you have done? Let me ask you in a different way. When the Word of God in the Logos and the Word of God in the Rhema comes to you and asks you or commands you or requires you to do something that grow, goes against every inclination of rational thought, what do you do? And when the Rhema and the Logos, you're reading it, and God speaks to you out of it, and to obey Him is to do the most difficult thing when you have an option to do something less difficult. Which do you choose? See. There was a second work of faith. He said, I want you to take your son and your wife and move down to Egypt. Now that doesn't seem too um, difficult, but the Jews didn't wander toward Egypt instinctively. They wandered the other direction. The nomadic Jews would never, never wander toward Egypt. If they went to Egypt, that direction, it would be going against natural instinct. Can you possibly imagine what kind of project this was for that couple? There were no places to live. I mean, you just wind up and you head off down to a land of a foreign country, you just show up there, no places to live, no Motel 6s. Where are they going to eat? There are no restaurants, no way to buy any food. Can you imagine Joseph getting on the telephone and calling his mother-in-law, saying, we're moving to Egypt. 
You're taking my only grandson? You're, you're taking my, old, my daughter and you're going to Egypt? Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine that? It is what James Stewart, Stewart calls the incalculable destiny of the Spirit of God. Now listen, folks. Be careful when you ask for a word from God because God may send you where you would not choose to go. Let me read you something from Stuart's book, The Wind of the Spirit. He, he picks up from that passage in, in John 3 where Jesus is in a midnight conversation with Nicodemus and he says, The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from whence it comes or whither it goes. And, and James Stewart has this marvelous sermon on the wind of the Spirit, and he says, You don't know where the Spirit comes from, and you don't know where the Spirit will take you. Listen to what he says. The little group of men in the upper room at Pentecost did not know that the wind of the Spirit that was shaking them was going to carry them and their descendants to the presence of Caesar and the conquest of the world. The monk Martin Luther, pondering the epistle to the Romans, did not know that the wind of the Spirit stirring in his monastery cell was going to carry him to the revolutionizing and remaking of the church. I preached a few years ago at the evangelism conference in Portland, Oregon, and and after I preached a sermon on hell, that was my assigned topic. I've never forgiven the guy. That this black preacher from Los Angeles, California, preached on heaven. And he talked about the wind of the Holy Spirit. He grew up you know, as a son of a sharecropper in East Texas, and he made this remarkable analogy. He said, when I was a little black boy hoeing cotton, in the fields of East Texas, I had no idea that the wind of the Spirit would carry me to this pulpit in Portland, Oregon. Now what happens with Joseph is that the rhema comes, the Word of God comes and says, Joseph, it's Egypt for you. There's a third time. And God comes to him in the Ramah and down in Egypt. And he says, all right, it's time to go back to Galilee, to Judea, to Galilee. Now, there have been some people there, some remarks made. There have been a lot of things said back there. People don't forget. A lot of whispers, you know. A lot of reasons why people gave that Joseph headed off down to Egypt. This woman, illegitimate child. Whispers. And what God is telling him to do is to go back to the place where there has been and will be rejection. There's a terrible disease from which we all suffer. It's a disease of passivity. Individuals suffer from it. Churches suffer from it. The Word of God is received, but we do nothing about it. And one day a woman had a word from God. Her husband was going to be saved. And she said to God, Well, what do I do now about it? He said two things. Stop nagging and fix his breakfast. Stop nagging and fix his breakfast. And God speaks. Anytime there is a word of faith, 
there is a work of faith, and that faith has a flaw until you respond on it. Let me ask you this question. Are you doing what God, you know God, has told you to do in every situation? And then there's the weight of faith. Now watch this carefully. Joseph never saw from the earth the fulfillment of God's promise. Now if he knew the Logos, and he did, and he knew Isaiah 7, and he knew Hosea 11, and he responded on the basis of the Logos and the Ramah, he must have known that this son of his was the Messiah promised. But he never lived to see that. He died before Jesus showed the work of a Messiah. Now, there are some people who uh, suggest that Jesus did messianic things as a child. For example, I read somewhere that someone theorized, had to dream it up, that one day Jesus just took a board and zapped it and it became a desk. And one day Jesus took some clay, breathed on it, turned it loose, and it was a bird. And there are all kinds of speculations about what Jesus did as a child. We don't believe that that actually happened. It's not in the Logos. So what Joseph saw of Jesus was this boy just like any other Jewish boy, godly and obedient and loving, the kindest, the most obedient child he, you could ever imagine. But he never saw the fulfillment of the promise in Joseph, in, in, in Jesus. Joseph did not. Now, folks, there are a lot of things that God promises you that you may never see in fulfillment. I want you to turn right quickly, and we're out of here, to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I want to read verse 13 and verses 39 and 40. And verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11 reads like this. All these, and it's a list of those people of faith, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now verses 39 and 40. Turn to that. Look at it. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what God promised or what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is they all died before they experienced what God promised them. All real faith has a weight attached to it. All real, real faith has a weight, W-A-I-T, not W-E-I-G-H-T. All real faith has a weight attached to it. There is a certain amount of waiting. There is a faith that brings us to God. There is a faith that keeps on believing. And the perfect example of this is Jairus, who came to ask Jesus to come and heal his daughter, and on the way to healing her, some people came and said, forget it, she's dead. And Jesus turned to Jairus and said, Tid will paraphrase, in fact, 
perfect paraphrase. He said, Jarius, keep on believing. When every reason not to believe is there, when all you have to cling to is His Word, when nobody else does, keep on believing, Jarius. And so Joseph is that kind of person. I'm, I think he must have looked at Jesus from time to time and thought to himself, if you're the Son of God, why do I have to go to Egypt? If you're God's Son, why do I have to run off down to Egypt? If you're the Son of God, why don't you zap this world? Why is this waiting for that? Because there's always a wait to faith. Well, you see, hope means I know it's going to happen. And joy is what comes from knowing that it's going to happen. And endurance is knowing that God cannot fail if you can just wait for it. And sometimes we'll have to see, some of us will have to see the promise fulfilled from the battlements of heaven. And I have a feeling that from the battlement of heaven, my mother looks tonight to see the fulfillment of some God's promises, and so does yours. And so will you. Because genuine faith involves a word and a work and a weight. And Joseph is the proof of it. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for a faith that clings to your word, that works out your promise and waits for its fulfillment. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. There are three invitations tonight. Who knows when a preacher stands to give an invitation, who will hear from God? Perhaps tonight you've had God speak to your spirit. In here, you felt, you've heard God. He's called you to a decision. What you do tonight about that word from God is the work of faith. It may be that God's called some of you to, to, a, to, a, to, to a life of Christian vocation, service of, of full-time vocational service for the Lord. What can I do now? Well, you can begin preparation for that. Maybe God has called you tonight to be saved and you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ. The invitation this morning, goal is just coming on the first word to confess their faith in Jesus Christ because God spoke to them and it's in His Word. Or perhaps you need to come tonight and join His church or to begin a new life that pleases God in your commitment of service. If God has spoken to your heart in the Ramah, the application of His Word to you. And He brings His Word and He says to you, maybe something the preacher didn't even say, but God just says, now this is what He means. And He just gives you a Word for you to obey. We want you to do it. God wants you to do it. You'll be pleased you did. You better hurry on the first Word while we stand to sing. Come.